You may be seated. This week I've been thinking about the authority of God's Word, the Holy Scriptures, and oftentimes when I think about this, I, I go back to a debate that I had with a pastor from another denomination. And he was a friend of mine, is a friend of mine, and we debated the doctrine of election. It's always a good topic to debate. And he came at the doctrine of election from more of an experiential, subjective view, and I came at it from more of an objective view, meaning that the scriptures guide and direct us in understanding the doctrine of election, not experience. And so we talked and talked and debated, and I kept using scripture, and finally this guy got frustrated with me. And he said this, why do you keep using scripture? And I was floored. This was a good guy, a good pastor. But I was absolutely dumbfounded by his question. And I realized very quickly that we were coming at this debate from two very different positions. One position from experience more man-centered, the other from Scripture itself. Why, why would we use Scripture? Why, why would we use Scripture to debate or to understand a doctrine? Why would we use Scripture to guide us to understand our culture? Why would we use Scripture to, to not only point out sin, but help us see what to do with it in light of it? Why would we use Scripture to know how to worship, to know what the church is all about, to know how to live to please God? Why would we use Scripture? Why we use Scripture, and this really is the theme for today, why we use Scripture is this. Scripture is objectively true, divinely revealed, and sufficiently powerful for God's people to take the offense in any debate, and especially for God's people to take the offense in the spiritual battle itself. Let us pray. God, our Father, as we turn to this passage of Scripture in the book of of Ephesians, as we look to this offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, I pray that you would show us and remind us and enable us to even more embrace the realities of the authority, the sufficiency, the power of your Word as objective truth, divinely inspired and sufficient as the only infallible rule of faith and practice and especially sufficient as your people take the offense in the spiritual battle. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Well, as we've been doing, we're looking at Ephesians 6, and I'm going to read the whole passage. I hope you never get tired of hearing this. I don't get tired of reading it, but I want us to have the context as we build this Christian warrior, as we put on this armor piece by piece, so to speak. Today, we're, we're, we're nearing the end, and today we're, we're looking really at the last piece of armament before we get to prayer next Sunday. So we'll begin reading at verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which which with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Thus, the Word of God for us this morning. Now, our sermon outline is relatively simple. We'll be looking at the sword, we'll be looking at the Word, and then we'll end by considering what we're to do with it, and that is... Uh, to take it up and uh, to use it. The sword. When most of us think of a sword fight, or at least when I think of a sword fight, I think of two guys with really big swords going at it. They alternate between using the sword defensively to protect themselves and using the the sword offensively to attack. Now, when I say sword fight, some of you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, what about the Star Wars lightsaber? Okay, lightsabers, swords, if that's your choice, that's fine as, as well. This makes for really great action scenes in movies, doesn't it? Be it with a sword duel or with a lightsaber duel. It's a long sword. And again, the idea is that one of these opponents would make a mistake, and the other one would be able to strike that, that mortal blow. Well, the Roman soldier that is in Paul's mind as he's describing this, this armor in Ephesians chapter 6 had a long sword, probably had a really big sword that he carried with him. And there's actually a Greek word, romphia, which refers to this type of long sword. We find this, this long sword figuratively pointing to God's judgment in Revelation chapter 19. It's a good idea not to take a sword to a gunfight. Would you agree with that? But for today's purpose, it's a good idea not to take a long sword to a wrestling match. And what I want to communicate today is that the weapon used 
needs to fit the nature of the combat. Now, you may remember from verse 12 that the Apostle Paul describes this spiritual battle likened to a wrestling match, hand-to-hand combat, very personal, very much in your face, close up, and such a Such a hand-to-hand, personal, wrestling match type of combat means that a longsword is really not a great deal of use. And so here in verse 17, the Apostle Paul actually uses a different type of Greek word that describes a different type of weapon. This, This Greek word is makira. And it's a sword, but it's a sword more like a dagger, a small dagger that someone, that a Roman soldier might carry on one side. And this particular type of sword would range in size from a dagger, rather small weapon, to a short sword. And so he would have, the soldier would have the dagger on one side, the short sword on the other, and then his really big sword probably in his hand or maybe carried on his back. And the idea is that in this this combat, in this spiritual battle that is more like a wrestling match, you need to have a weapon that is ideal for it. And it's this small dagger-like or short sword that that the soldier could easily reach and plunge into his enemy, even if they were in a desperate wrestling match in battle. So think about a small sword and not a big old sword when you think about the Word of God. And think about the fact that God is so sovereign. God is so purposeful that his people will be on the offense in the spiritual battle that he has tailor-made the perfect weapon for you and me to use, and it's this short sword. When I think of a short sword, I, I recall one of my treasured possessions that my father gave me years ago. He, I think someone might have made this for him, but he had a, a hunting knife as a beautiful handle and just a blade. And it's perfect for cutting and for skinning and for doing those types of things. One way to understand this treasured possession of mine, it's going to sound graphic, and I, and I don't mean to it to sound graphic, but, but it really is a slaughter knife. A knife that's ideal for cutting and for stabbing. I was going to bring it here today, but I felt that maybe that would concern some of you that your pastor is running around with a slaughter knife on Sunday morning. Don't go to sleep. I should have brought it. Man, oh well. So here's, here's, here's what I want to depict for you, that, that, that our sword, th- this piece of weaponry that is primarily offensive in nature, for God's people to be on the attack is a slaughter knife. The ideal weapon for intense 
and fierce hand-to-hand combat. Our sword, our slaughter knife is objectively true. It is divinely revealed and sufficiently powerful for God's people to be on the offense in the spiritual battle. Think about that for just a moment. We're called to be on the offense, not to retreat. And we have the perfect, perfect weapon to keep moving forward with confidence and with boldness. Moving forward to victory. Isn't that beautiful, what God has done? Now, this slaughter knife, this sword, is the word. Our words have power, right? Our words can build up. Our words can tear down. Renee, my wife, she is so good. And I'll I'll brag on her just a little bit. She is so good about building me up. Oftentimes, at least in my mind, when I don't deserve it. But her words are encouraging to me. Most of the time. But you all know, don't you, how cutting words can be. How our words can tear another person down. How our words can be like a slaughter knife and cut and jab and wound. Wound deeply. You know that, don't you? Maybe you've been wounded by words. Maybe you have wounded others by your words. Our words have power, but our words are utterly useless in the spiritual battle. But his word, get this, his word, the word, what God has spoken is sufficient and powerful. Paul defines the sword as the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, the sword is not the Spirit. The sword is the Word of God, the Bible, the Scriptures. But the the Word of God is of the Spirit because the Word of God is given to us by and through the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. So when I look at verse 17b, the the second part of verse 17, what I see there is the doctrine of revelation. I see there God revealing himself. Now we know God reveals himself in nature, that as as we look about at all that God has created, the beauty and glory of it, we're, we're reminded we see his goodness, his wisdom, his power, And therefore, mankind is without excuse as they look at this beautiful creation and deny the Creator. They're without excuse. That's what Romans 1 tells us, right? But natural revelation is insufficient for us to know God intimately, for us to know His will, and especially His will for our salvation. Therefore, He has given special revelation. He has revealed himself through the process of inspiration that it would be written down in the words of the Bible that God's people might have it, that God's people might study it and use it. 
let's look at this beautiful reality of God in revealing himself, special revelation. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 2 Peter 1 verse 20, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 5 and 6, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his word, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. So these three scriptures, and, and we could cite many more in the Bible, bring us to understand that the Word of God, the scriptures that we have in their original autographed copies are inerrant. They are without error. They are divinely given. They are inspired. They are breathed out by God, as Paul says in 2 Timothy and chapter uh, 3. Uh, they are not, first and foremost, the works of human authors, though God sovereignly used human authors as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit ministering, uh, superintending the very Word of God being written down by those human authors. And Proverbs, every word is true. And we also consider that it's not only inerrant, but it's also verbally and plenary, the whole inspired, all scripture, every word is inspired. We cannot pick and choose what we believe is the revealed word of God and what is it. People do this all the time. There are a group of scholars that got together that were trying to figure out the exact words that Jesus spoke and they, they developed this crazy color code and went through the gospels they, and and. and all four Gospels, they finally determined only four verses were the actual words of, of Jesus. And the rest of it, we could just not worry about all that much. I mean, people do this all the time. They don't really embrace the fact that, that the whole of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is the inspired Word of God. And this is the problem of my pastor friend as we were debating the doctrine of election. That he really didn't take, the take it to be true that the whole of Scripture is inspired. He could pick and choose what was true, and he could also pick and choose what was not revelation. It's a very dangerous platform to deny objective, the objective truth of the Scriptures. But the sword is the very Word of God, and it is of the Spirit in that it is given by God through the ministry of the Spirit as those human authors were inspired to literally write down what God breathed out that we might have it today. The authority and power and sufficiency of God's Word is the only infallible rule of faith and practice as our confession tells us. And as I think about 
the sufficiency of God's word, the power of God's word, the cutting ability, the, the let's say this, the slaughtering ability of God's word, literally to cut right through and get to the heart of the matter. I think of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 where we read, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. That is, that short short sword that we see in Ephesians chapter 6. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Brothers and sisters, that is the word of God. That is the sword, the short sword, the slaughter sword that we have as the offensive weapon, the very word of God to advance in the battle toward victory. Do you believe in the sufficiency and power and authority of God's word? This is our weapon in the spiritual battle. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is objectively true. It is divinely revealed. It is sufficiently powerful for God's people to go on the offense in the spiritual battle. And thirdly and lastly, the short sword of the Roman soldier was always close at hand. It was right right by his side easy to retrieve and used to cut or to plunge into his enemy. But here's the reality of what we learn in Ephesians 6. The short sword that is the word of God is even closer to the Christian warrior than the short sword of the Roman soldier was close to his hand. And here's what I mean by that. The Word of God is closer. It is in our heart. It is in our minds. Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 through 13. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual we're able to know in our hearts and minds the truth ephesians 1 17 and 18 that the god of our lord jesus christ the father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints And then James 1.21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, listen to this, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The sword that God gives us to advance toward victory on the offense and the spiritual battle is closer to us than a physical sword is to a Roman soldier. Why? Because it's in our hearts and minds by the Spirit. This sword being so close means that we must take it, we must read it, 
we must study it, we must memorize it, we must love it, we must value it, we must obey it, and we must use it as it is intended to be used as an offensive weapon in the spiritual battle. The uh, passage that, that Jeff read from Psalm 119, Jeff, aren't you glad I didn't have you read the entire psalm? That's a really long psalm. But in verses 110 through 112, we read this, The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Do you get that? The wicked, they're out to get me, but the Christian warrior, I do not stray from your precepts. I embrace the sword. I take the sword, the short sword. It's my weapon against the snares of the wicked. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes to the end. Brothers and sisters, that's what we need to be doing. What this psalm tells us to do, to take that sword and use it to combat the snares of the wicked that are placed before us. And that continually that our hearts and our minds are inclined to it. That we embrace it. And we love it. We use it and obey it. Our confession of faith teaches the scriptures are necessary to stand against the malice of Satan. God declared his will unto the church in written form. And our confession says, for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world. To commit the same holy unto writing. Which make, us the, which make the Holy Scripture to, to be most necessary. The Word of God has many, many purposes, but chief among them is to be this short sword, an offensive weapon for the battle. All right, so you're in Sunday school. Do, do any of you remember when you were in Sunday school? Some of you, I'm talking children's Sunday school. Uh, some of you are in Sunday school even now. Maybe you remember from vacation Bible school, but you did sword drills, right? And sword drills are designed so the teacher can help the students, you know, quickly find passages of Scripture or to um, be given a topic and then to, to give a Scripture that would, would address that, that particular topic. Well, that's kind of the nature of the sword drill. It's really a, really a great idea, this, this, this game that's been used forever, but I want us to think about the fact that this, this sword drill that might be something that we've all done in the Sunday school class at Vacation Bible School actually is a pretty good way to understand how we're to fight in the spiritual battle. We're to take the short sword, which is the Word of God. In other words, we are to go about combating the enemy by using scripture. Give me a scripture. You don't have to. I'm just using this somewhat hyperbolically. Give me a scripture to combat doctrinal error, a particular doctrinal error. Maybe Jesus isn't divine. Give me a scripture a scripture to deal with a particular temptation. Give me a scripture to deal with one struggling with a particular sin. Give me a scripture 
that might combat some heresy. Give me a scripture that will help us, that, that will give guidance to us, insight to us as we grapple to understand our culture. Give me a scripture that will speak peace into individuals struggling with a conflict. Give me a scripture that gives hope to the fearful, to the depressed. Give me a scripture that gives guidance in using money and dealing with materialism. Give me a scripture that gives us hope. Give me a scripture that combats the lies of Satan that Jesus really didn't completely die that you would be free of guilt. Give me a scripture. Do you see what it means to take the short sword and to advance toward victory? Give me a scripture. Give me a scripture means we know the scriptures, doesn't it? And if you and I want to be successful, if you and, uh, forget successful, if you and I desire to be faithful, much better word. If we desire to be faithful in the spiritual battle, other than just believing on Jesus, second maybe to that is study your Bible. Do a Bible sword drill with yourself, with your spouse, with your children, with your pastor, with your elders. Because this is the ideal offensive weapon in the spiritual battle. Give me a scripture. And when we think of sword duels, when we think of sword drills, the ultimate sword drill is actually described in the scriptures. Do you remember when Jesus fasted for 40 days, went out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, he was tempted in three ways. And how did Jesus fight? With every temptation, this is what Jesus said. It was this someone said, Jesus, give me a scripture. Because this is what he said to Satan. It is written. It is written. That's how Jesus fought. That's how Jesus won the victory there in the wilderness. And by the way, Jesus' victory over Satan's temptation was for us. That in him, we will be victorious over all of Satan's schemes and temptations. But I want us to see this. Jesus used the perfect weapon for that hand-to-hand -hand wrestling match there in the wilderness. The short sword of the word of God. In reality, he used himself because he is the Word of God in flesh. And if Jesus used the Word of God, oh my, should we not as well.
our short sword, our slaughter knife, our offensive weapon is objectively true. It is divinely revealed. It is sufficiently powerful for God's people to advance and to move forward towards victory in the spiritual battle. I hope this week for you and for me that this phrase will ring in our minds every day. Give me a scripture. <laughs> Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its sufficiency, its authority. We thank you that in all of your wisdom, you, you just simply didn't speak it, but you spoke it verbally that it might be written down. And you superintended, God the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the scriptures that we might be able to read it, to study it, to, uh, that that word might be implanted in us, that we might memorize it, that we might take that short, short, short sword, which is the word of God, and use it in the battle Oh, Father, it is such a blessing that we're able to stand before all of the malice of Satan and all of the, the enemies and all that is put before us, and we're able to say, I have a scripture that is the perfect weapon to combat the enemy. And I pray, God, that you might work in us that we would ever have a love and commitment to your word. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.